2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 11. We have been seeing a lot about boasting and talking yourself up in these last uh, few chapters. Look with me. Let's kind of get a, a brief overview of some of the things Paul's saying about boasting. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look with me at verse 12. And we'll, we'll catch our way up to where we are tonight. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Paul says about these false apostles that are running him down in Corinth. He says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says it's never wise to compare yourself to another man and think you're doing well. Then verse 17, look at that same chapter. He says, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. You can say all you want about yourself, but what really matters in the, in the long run is what does the Lord say about you. Now look with me at chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. We learned that boasting is folly, it's foolishness. But Paul says, okay, well... If you would just bear with me, I'm going to do a little bit of this foolish boasting that you guys seem to be so fond of. Look down at verse 16 of that chapter, 2 Corinthians 11:16. Paul says, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. So if you're going to think me as a fool, maybe I'll go ahead here and boast as a fool would. Verse 17, what I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. Paul says, there's a lot of people in Corinth that seem to be really into boasting, and you guys are receiving them, so maybe, maybe I should do the same. Verse 23 of that chapter, he says, are they ministers of Christ? He says, now I speak as a fool. I'm foolishly boasting him here. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. And he proceeds to boast. Quote, boast. Even this boasting is really not much boasting for Paul. He never talks about his accomplishments. He only talks about the things that he endures in that chapter. Now look with me at chapter 12. We're almost caught up, guys. <laughs> chapter 12, verse 1. He says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. He says, again, this is not helping me. This is not a good thing for me. I'm not getting a reward for boasting this. I realize that. And then he says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he goes on, chapter, or verse 2, and says, I know this guy. I know a man who had this wonderful revelation. I won't tell you that it was me because I don't want to come too close to boasting. But I know this guy who had all of these great revelations. And then finally, verse 7, Paul begins to boast, truly boast, about a thorn in the flesh. And then in verse 10, he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. These are the things I will boast about in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And here's the key verse for when I am weak, then I am strong. You've caught up now with Paul. He's gone on this whole tear about boasting and how foolish it is. But he says, but I'm going to go ahead and do this because it's the only language you understand. Look at verse 11 now. Here's, here's the beginning of our text tonight. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 11, Paul says, you guys did it. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. Boasting is foolish, and I've spent a lot of time in these last few chapters boasting. I've become a fool in boasting, and you guys made me do it. Now, 
At first, that sounds like an excuse, right? Hey, you guys made me do it. But if ever that phrase was true, it was here. Because the Corinthians, again, had shown the only language they really understood was trash talking, was boasting, foolish boasting. So Paul said, all right, all right, I will boast. And we saw through those chapters, he was not comfortable with this boasting. Not at all. He only boasted about his shipwrecks, beatings, stonings. No accomplishment. He never mentions, I wrote, I'm going to write half the New Testament. I started all these churches. No great feats in the last chapter. Chapter 12, verse 1, he talked about revelation and visions. Just saying, well, I know this guy. And even then, he couldn't finish. We saw on Sunday. He's like, you know what? I could tell you about these things, but I don't feel right about, about going on in detail about these either. Finally, he's come to this conclusion, and he says, I will just boast in my infirmities. I'm not comfortable with this, but you made me do it. Look at verse 11 now. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Paul says to the church in Corinth, the reason I had to boast was because I should have been commended by you. In other words, you put me in a really uncomfortable position. I had to stand up for my own ministry because none of you would stand up for my ministry. Right off the bat, we have a a couple of applications. Here's one. Are you one who stands up for the maligned? Who stands up for someone who is being gossiped about or slandered? When, When the slander slash gossip machine is cranked up and it's rolling, are you one that's willing to lay down in front of it and say no further to to stop that thing? I was thinking about this. We've learned repeatedly now over these last few verses that boasting for yourself and defending yourself is not profitable, right? It's not helpful to you. And I've learned through a painful experience sometimes, I have a choice. I can defend myself. Or I can let the Lord be my defender. Over and over again, the Bible says he does a much better job of defending me. But here's what I'm also discovering is that oftentimes when he defends me, it's through other people. He doesn't want me to defend myself. So what does that mean? That means we have a responsibility if your brother or sister is being maligned or uh, gossiped about. You have a responsibility to shut down that machine. That's one real quick application. Um, Here's another corollary. And I don't know if you noticed here, but did you see that it is okay to boast? Wait, let me finish. It is okay to boast about a brother or a sister. It's okay to say good things about each other. See, Paul refused, if you've been following this thread... Paul refused to to boast except for two areas. He said, let's see, I will boast about my weaknesses and I will boast about others' strengths. Paul said, okay, the things I'll boast about, shipwreck, beating, stonings. He says concerning visions and revelations. Well, I know this guy. I don't want to talk about that. Oh, but I could tell you about this thorn that I have. He says, I will talk about my weaknesses. He says, but I will also talk about others' strengths. Titus, in this very letter... Paul commends Titus to these guys. He commends uh, Timothy in this letter and in other letters. He even commended these Corinthians. And remember, these Corinthians are not much to brag about. But he went all over Macedonia saying, these guys said they were going to give this great offering. 
what I want to point out to you is that it is perfectly acceptable. It's actually good to commend a brother who's generous, who's caring, who's hardworking, whatever it is. I thought this was a good spot for me to talk to you about blogs. Six months ago, six months ago, I would have sworn to you that blogs were the most self-absorbed thing I've ever seen. There, I've seen pastors' blogs that seem to be like, wow, let me tell you all about myself. As if, I, as if a pastor doesn't have enough uh, of a platform, right? Um, six months ago, I would have told you that blogs are the most self-absorbed thing that I can imagine, but... I've been following a few blogs in the church. (laughs) And let me tell you, the ones that I've seen anyway, they totally changed my mind about how a blog can be used. I've been totally blown away by the blogs that I have seen from this church because they are doing exactly what Paul talks about, exposing our own weaknesses, but lifting others up and saying, you know what I love about you? I love this about you. And you know what? I don't really like this about me. It's, it's an amazing thing, and I, I'm really impressed. Um, the problem is, a lot of times, we get it backwards. Maybe with blogs, we have more time to think about it. But a lot of the rest of our lives, we get it backwards, right? We think it's our job to humble others <laughs> and to <laughs> lift ourselves up, but to humble others, right? I, I want to keep you humble, so my job now here is to, to point these things out to you. You guys know that chorus? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. I think some people sing this course to themselves. Humble that guy in the sight of the world. <laughs> Next, I want you guys to notice Paul's healthy self-assessment. Look at verse 11. He says, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Paul says, you made me do this because you wouldn't stand up for me. And he says, in nothing was I behind these most eminent apostles. If you've been with us, you know when he's talking, he's not really being serious. He's using this uh, eminent, most eminent uh, facetiously. In, in the Greek, it actually is super duper, pretty much. Super duper apostles. He's like, in nothing I am behind these guys who will take no no hesita- hesitation in telling you how great they are. He says, those guys have nothing on me. I am equal with them. But he says, yet I am nothing. So do the math. If Paul is equal with the super duper apostles and Paul is nothing, what does that make the super duper apostles? Nothing. The problem is they just don't know it. Paul says, look, if I chose to brag on myself, I could totally brag these guys under the table. I'm every bit as powerful, I'm, and I'm every bit as useful as these guys, but the difference is I know where my power and my usefulness come from. They come from Christ. Paul knew, he was the one who said, in, in me there is no good thing. John fifteen five, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Paul was the same guy back in chapter 3 of the first book to the Corinthians. He said, so then neither is he that planteth anything. He said, I planted the church. Neither that he that watereth. Apollos came and watered it. But God gives the increase. Y'all, this is a really great, healthy self-assessment. Two ideas. Apart from him, I can do nothing. 
but with him I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why, again, Paul made it, and this is our family memory verse, if you didn't catch it on Sunday. Paul says, verse 9 of this chapter, he says, Therefore I will boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to tell you all the help that I need so that when Jesus says, yeah, you do need help, and he comes and gives it, who's going to get the glory? Jesus. So Paul says, I'm nothing behind these super apostles, but I'm not behind these, uh, I'm not behind these super uh, duper apostles in any way. But look at verse 12. He says, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. See, one of the markings of a New Testament apostle were miraculous signs. Stuff like healing the sick, raising the dead, well-timed earthquakes, being bitten by snakes and just shaking it off. And Paul says here in verse 12, these were done with, among you with all perseverance. That word means constantly. Paul says in verse 12, surely you remember that when I was with you guys in Corinth, that kind of stuff, that miraculous stuff was happening constantly. And look, actually, that kind of stuff happened wherever Paul went. Because look at verse 13. He says, for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches? In other words, the same miraculous healings, powerful signs, wonderful uh, works, mighty deeds, all the stuff that I did in all the other churches, those, those things were exhibited before your very eyes, you Corinthians. So Paul's kind of saying, so why are you disrespecting me again? Can you fill me in on if I'm doing these things everywhere I go and they happened here in your presence as well, why are we even having this discussion? Paul says, did the signs and wonders that, that were done in all of the churches, did those dry up in Corinth? No, you guys saw those. Paul says, did I cheat you guys compared to any of the other churches? Were, were you lacking in the signs and wonders from, from me? No. Verse 13, he says again, For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches? How did I cheat you? Except, verse 13, the, the middle. Except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Paul says, oh, that's right. Now I remembered. I remembered how it was different with you guys than the other churches. I received money from the other churches, but I wouldn't accept any from you. Now, we've seen these charlatans, these slick, super-duper apostles were so slick that they probably said something like this. Well, the reason Paul won't take your money, because he's not a professional, he knows he's not the real deal, so he won't take your money from you. So Paul says, okay, let's see here. Let me do some inventory. You got the signs. You got the wonders. You got the mighty deeds. You got the teaching of the word of God from me. I founded the church from the ground up. I fed you the pure milk of the word that you might grow. Let's see, where did I fail you compared to the other churches? Oh, I didn't take your money. I am so, so sorry. In the, in the words of the great theologian Steve Martin, well, excuse me. <laughs> Paul says, now, if that offended you, the fact that I wouldn't take your money, be prepared to be offended again. Look at verse 14. Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will still not be burdensome to you. Twice before I visited, and I've never taken a dime for myself, Paul says. I'm coming again, and I'm prepared to offend you again. I still will not take your money. I still will not take a dime from you because, listen to this. This is awesome. The end of verse 14. For I do not seek yours, but you. Y'all, that's beautiful. That should be every pastor's heart. 
I'm not after your money. I'm not after even your attendance. I'm not after your service even. I do not seek what you can do for me or even for the church. I do not seek yours. I seek you. That should be every pastor's heart. Let me change that. That should be every minister's heart. And you guys know, right, this room is filled with ministers. Our whole deal is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Each one of us should have this thinking. I do not seek yours, but you. That is exactly, by the way, opposite of how the world thinks. The world thinks, I don't seek you. I seek yours. Maybe you guys read this online this week. An online exchange between a woman looking for a husband who earns more than $500,000 a year and a mystery Wall Street banker who assessed her potential for romance as a business deal has caused quite an Internet stir. The anonymous 25-year-old woman recently posted an ad on the website Craigslist appealing for advice on how to find a wealthy husband. She says, I know how that sounds, but keep in mind that a million a year is middle class in New York City, so I don't think I'm overreaching at all. The woman who described herself as spectacularly beautiful and superficial wrote, so at least she got that part right. <laughs> she says, I dated a businessman who makes uh, average around 200000 to 250000 but that's where I seem to hit a roadblock. 250000 won't get me to Central Park West, she said. Asking questions like, now where do rich men, single men, hang out? Well, a mystery banker wrote back to her. He says he fit the bill, and he offered this woman an analysis of her predicament, describing it as a plain and simple, terrible business deal. He says, your looks will fade, and my money will likely continue into perpetuity. <laughs> In fact, it is very likely that my in as my income increases that you, it's an absolute certainty that you won't be getting any more beautiful. So he says, in strictly economic terms, you are a depreciating asset and I am an earning asset. <laughs> he said, let me explain. You're 25 now and I will likely, and you will likely stay pretty hot for the next five years, but less so each year. Then the fade begins in earnest. <laughs> By 35, stick a fork in you. He says, it doesn't make good business sense to buy you, which is what you're asking, so I'd rather lease. <laughs> See, the world, the world says, I don't seek you. I just seek yours. But Paul says, the end of verse 14, I don't seek yours, but you. You guys know where Paul learned that, right? Jesus. Jesus didn't die for the money in your wallet. He didn't die for the IQ in your head. He didn't die for the service that you could give him. He came seeking not yours, but you. He died for you because he would rather die than go to heaven without you. And listen, the very first and best thing that he wants from you, besides all that other stuff, is a relationship with you. Jesus says, I do not seek yours, but you. Again, we, this is another reason that we have a box in the back. My dad, my very own dad, 
I believe, was turned off from church because he missed a few weeks. And they called him and said, hey, we're wondering about your offering. Not seeking him, but his. Paul says, Jesus says, I do not seek yours, but you. If you really want to be like Jesus, you need to adopt that attitude toward people. I am not seeking yours, but you. Let me ask you more pointedly. Do you sometimes see people as a means to an end? Like if I'm nice to that person, maybe I'll get this from them. Or if I do this for them, maybe they'll owe me. If you want to be like Jesus, you need to think, speak, and act this way to everyone you meet. I'm not after yours, but I seek you. Look at verse 14. He says, Now, for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. You guys know I have two sons, Noah, seven, and Isaac, who's three. I don't go to them and say, hey, guys, I'm a little short this week. Could you float me 20 bucks? Lisa and I don't say to them, you guys need to go out and get a job and save up for our retirement. Sometimes we wish we could. But we're the parents. We're the ones who are supposed to give. So do you see what Paul's doing here? He's killing two birds with one stone. He's explaining to them why he won't take a dime but he's also gently chastising them for their immaturity. Look, I'm the dad, and you guys are young kids. I'm not going to take your money. It, it wouldn't be right. There's a, there's a principle you can glean from this, too. Regardless of age, you can tell who's the parent and who's the child by observation. The parent is the one who gives freely and takes no thought of repayment. The child is the one who takes, and it never occurs to them to give back. Which describes you and me in our relationships. Look at verse 15. He says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Paul says, look, I'm glad to do it. I'm glad to spend money. I'm glad to spend myself Physical things for your souls. Think about that. Paul sounds really noble, but he's really a a wise uh, investor here. It's a good trade. My temporary physical cost for your eternal spiritual gain. Verse 15 again. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Isn't that the mantra of a parent sometimes? The more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. I got this uh, online uh, from a, it was an email this week. It said, job description, position, mom, mommy, mama, ma, or dad, daddy, pop. Job description. Long-term team players needed for challenging permanent work in an often chaotic environment. Candidates must possess excellent communication and organizational skills and be willing to work variable hours, which will include evenings and weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Some overnight travel required, including trips to primitive camping sites on rainy weekends and endless sports tournaments in faraway cities. Oh, by the way, travel expenses not reimbursed. Extensive courier duties also required. Those are 
the, that's the job description. Here's the responsibilities. Responsibilities, the rest of your life. You must be willing to be hated, at least temporarily, until someone needs $5. You must be willing to bite your tongue repeatedly. You must also possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from 0 to 60 miles an hour in three seconds flat in case this time the screams from the backyard are not someone just crying wolf. You must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair, mysteriously sluggish toilets, and stuck zippers. You must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, and coordinate production of multiple homework projects. You must have the ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages and mental outlooks. You must be willing to be indispensable one minute and an embarrassment the next. You must handle assembly and product safety testing of half a million cheap plastic toys and battery-operated devices. You must always hope for the best but be prepared for the worst. And here's the kicker. You must assume final, complete accountability for the quality of the end product. Responsibilities also include for floor maintenance and janitorial work through the facility. Now we come to possibility for advancement and promotion. None. Your job is to remain in the same position for years without complaining, constantly retraining, and updating your skills so that those in your charge can ultimately surpass you. Wages and compensation, get this, you pay them. A balloon payment is due when they turn 18 because of the assumption that college will help them become financially independent. When you die, you give them whatever is left. Closes this way, the oddest thing about this reverse salary scheme is that you actually enjoy it and wish you could only do more. See, Paul has a parent's heart. He says, look, I know that the more abundantly I love you, the less you're going to love me. But that's not going to stop me. He says, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls because he has a father's heart. I know that my giving is rewarded by your taking, verse 16. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Now, that seems like a left turn, but what this probably is is another case of supreme irony. Paul says, apparently these super-duper apostles had accused Paul of being cunning, being deceitful. Probably went something like this. Well, sure, he doesn't take your money now. That's just because he's setting you up to really stick it to you later. And Paul says, yeah, I sure am crafty. Let's see, I stayed 18 months free of charge. I came back a second time, never took a dime. I'm coming back a third time, completely at my own expense. I got you guys right where I want you. Verse 17 and 18, Paul says, Now, I know I didn't take any of your money when I was with you. Let's see, did any of my associates take any of your money when they returned? Here, to, to make this quicker, verse 17, I will insert the obvious answers that the Corinthians must have thought as these verses were being read aloud to the church. Verse 17, Paul says, Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? Well, no. I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Um, no. Did we not walk in the same spirit, that is Titus and me? Did we not walk in the same steps? The word steps there is a footprint, a track. In the New Testament, it meant it was a metaphor for following the example of someone. Paul says, 
Now, I know that I did not take a dime from you, Corinthians, and yet you're accusing me of being crafty. Now, let's see. I sent Titus, who I was just sure was imitating my steps. Are you guys saying I need to have a sit down with Titus to make sure that he didn't rip you guys off? Did he take advantage of you? Do I need to talk with him? See, he's forcing these guys to say, no. Paul, now that you put it that way, no, you never did take a dime from us. And Titus didn't either. Verse 19, Paul wraps up this whole uncomfortable, boasting, foolish section. He says, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ. The word excuse there is apologemia. It means to defend oneself, to make one's defense, to give a full account, to calculate or consider well. Paul says at the beginning of this, he says, look, you guys made me boast. You've required a full account from me. You've made me give you this comparison between me and these false apostles. Paul says, now, why am I doing it? Is it because I'm really insecure? Is it that I'm, I'm doing this for my own pride's sake? No, he says, we speak before God in Christ. Paul says, after this started way back in chapter 10, basically Paul says, everything I've said... Understand, I've been aware of the fact that my God, my Savior, is listening. As I'm writing these words on the page, I'm very aware that God is very aware of these words. And he knows my motives. By the way, just as an aside, that's a great way to live your life and to guard your lips. To know that your Savior is listening to what you're saying. Right? Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord. Paul says, I have a clear conscience about this whole boasting thing is uncomfortable as it was because, the end of verse 19, because we do all things, beloved, for your edification. This was really uncomfortable for Paul, guys. You, you get that? All this boasting, this foolish talk, Paul says, look, this was not to build me up. He says, believe it or not, it was to build you up. Paul says, God knows As my witness, my heart is not after what is yours. My heart is not after your money or your praise or your obedience to me. I'm seeking you, Paul says. These false apostles have talked me down and none of you stood up for me. So my influence upon you has been shredded. And Paul says, and it led me to this very uncomfortable boasting. But the reason I did it was to reestablish the relationship that you and I had so that I can build you up again. Do you guys get that? If they're not going to receive Paul in anything he says, how can he build them up? And to underline it, notice he adds the word beloved. In this section of all places, that word beloved just kind of jumps out at you because he's having a very confrontational discussion. But he says, look, I'm doing all this, my beloved, for your edification. That word beloved is agapetos. Probably didn't say it right. Agape is the, the root word. It means beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite. We've seen that before. You kind of get a sense that Paul is, again, it's like a, a parent and a child. It's like, oh, you guys drive me crazy. But there's something about you. I'd almost call you my favorite. Paul was willing to do the supremely uncomfortable to win back his beloved. 
And so was Jesus for you.